Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Today, for you, our podcast listeners, we have a special treat, a discount subscription to the Weekly Standard. When you're done listening to the podcast, be sure to click the box in the post to get your special discount. And you're going to need that discount because big spending Bill Crystal wants to take your money. Did I hear that right, Bill? You and the sequester? You're, you're for spend, spend, spend? I'm for against foolish cuts in defense, which really are dangerous which Republicans have now decided to accept because they're going to get much more modest cuts in domestic discretionary spending, cuts that aren't going to stick for that long anyway, and we aren't going to reform any of the programs. So I am much less of a fan of the sequester than most of the Republicans here in D.C., most of the conservatives I talk to around the country. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my I just uh, eccentric, and, and, and uh, maybe I know too many people who work for the government. I don't know, and I'm worried that they're going to lose you know, 20% of their their paychecks, but it really is, uh, I mean, regardless of the merits, and I, I am really worried about the defense sequester, I'm very worried about the politics of this, too. I think the Republicans have done a miserable job. If they wanted to take the position they're now taking, which is, in effect, we can live with the sequester for at least a while, they needed to prepare the ground for that. As recently as this week, Speaker Boehner had an op-ed in the journal, I think it was, where he said the sequester is horrible, it's a terrible policy, it'll do a huge amount of damage, but we're for it, basically. Like, what kind of message is that? And you know what's uh, frustrating to those of us out in the hustings is it seems that there's an easy, obvious message, which is spending is a problem. Stop spending, stop spending. When you've got simple, to easy to understand numbers like uh, federal spending has increased 17 percent under President Obama. This is only a two or three percent cut. Normal people get that. You ask a business owner, Bill, what would you do with a three percent cut? He'd say, I'd be thrilled <laughs> since 2006. And yet the Republicans can't even sell that message. No, and the Republicans control the House. And if I, I do, I know it's hard for them to pass legislation. It won't go anywhere in the Senate. I think rhetorically, politically. And really, substantively, they'd be in so much better shape if they said, you know what, we're going to show you how to cut exactly. 3% or 5%, and here are the places we're going to cut, and here are the places we're not going to cut. Because if you're a hardworking civilian at the Pentagon and you've been doing your job, a lot of them will, you know, do, they do pretty good jobs probably, and suddenly they get a 20% pay cut for the rest of this year, suddenly out of nowhere, that wasn't really their fault. That's not the rational way to cut, to cut spending. So uh, I really... Um, I think the Republicans dithered, and they were, you know, uh, nervous about taking on the president. And now they back themselves into a corner where I think the president's going to spend the next month just pummeling them. We will say over and over, "Hey, it was Obama's idea. Hey, Obama's being demagogic. Hey, Obama could fix this more if he wanted to." But uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that Obama's not going to win this PR battle with the American people. But what are the options once the sequesters, you know, was proposed? The Republicans could have. Uh, bailed and said, no, we won't cut. Here's your tax hike, which is what the President Obama is demanding. He's not saying that's a path out. That's the only path out. So you can give them the tax hike, or they can have the sequester, or they can announce cuts somewhere else. There's no other path that I can see. Right, or they could just say, okay, you know what, this year we won't have cuts, and we'd like to cut government. We're not going to do it at the expense of uh, risking defense. We're certainly not going to have a tax hike. So you know, these cuts are pretty small in the big picture. We need to reform entitlements to really cut government. We need to reform government to cut government. I mean, I do think this is the, the thing that one of the things that troubles me the most about this is it makes the Republicans simply the party of cutting. Right. And I'm, you know, some of these things can be cut, don't get me wrong, but, but not the party of reform. And presumably there are things government does that we think government should do and we think it could do better. Maybe there are a few things we think they should even spend more money on. And there are a heck of a lot of things they shouldn't be doing or they should be doing much more efficiently or doing very differently. All of that gets lost when the whole Republican agenda seems to be uh, an across-the-board cut.
But then I want to move on to the Chuck Hagel story, but there's one other aspect of this. Once again, so many people have been through so many cuts in their own personal life since 2006. Can the Republicans really not make the case, Mr. President, why are you choosing to cut to shut down the Washington Monument? Why are you choosing to cut down the Park Service? Why are you choosing to cut? Because they they don't have to happen. Everyone else has done it. I mean, seriously, for the households I know, a 3% cut since 2007 sounds like heaven. Right. So I think the key there is to say, would be Congress to say, okay, Mr. President, in this exceptional circumstance where we're all stumbled into, where we've all stumbled into the sequester, we're going to let you pick the cuts. We'll, we can review them and overrule mm-hmm. you, but uh, you go ahead and allocate them. Just like if you're a household and you're cutting spending exactly. 5%, you don't cut medicines 5% and movies 5%. You cut medicines 0 and movies 10%. And, and so, you know, whatever. So uh, I do think the Republicans could go in that direction. But right now, the president's in a pretty good position of saying, hey, look, uh, the law seems to make me do these cuts across the board. You Republicans haven't, you don't want me to be choosing what programs to fund. So I guess we'll just go ahead with these across-the-board cuts. Uh, I, the story from on the Chuck Hagel uh, Secretary of Defense appointment seems to me from the beginning has been the Democrats will just vote knee-jerk Democrat, and he's going to be the Secretary of Defense. Is anything changing that storyline that you've seen, Bill Crystal? Look, it looks like Hegel's likely to get 60 votes on Tuesday morning to get over the cloture bar, maybe just barely, and I'm not sure he'll even get 60 votes on, on final confirmation. Uh, they have held the Democrats, and they've peeled off, it looks like, a few Republicans. There may be a couple more developments. We're trying hard to get access to some of these audio and videotapes that exist of speeches Hegel has given that he's managing to block, and, of course, the media doesn't care. But the degree to which 50, I mean, 50, what does advising consent mean if, if, if your party controls the Senate, if the attitude of 55 Democratic senators is going to be the guy's already problematic, he's already out of the mainstream, even of the Democratic Party, the Democratic senators themselves have said that on issues like Israel and Iran. He then does horribly at the hearing, and they're still going to rubber stamp him. Why, I mean, I, I'm asking this not even rhetorically, but kind of seriously. Why, why do we even have advising consent? What would you have to do not to get confirmed as long as your party controls the Senate? Uh, and But as you pointed out, it seems that partisanship is going to be the lead, and that seems to be the story from the beginning. And I, I'm fascinated by how hard the Washington press corps has worked to not see the story of all this uh, stuff that's been covered up. You have to try to dodge that information. No, but it really is. I, I, I mean, it's become kind of cliche to complain exactly. about the Republicans, and I don't want to pile on, but I will now pile on briefly and say, you know, think of it. The Democrats defeated Robert Bork. In 1987, a total injustice. John Tower, a very able man as defense secretary in 89, Sam Nunn kind of carried out basically a vendetta against Tower. They blocked Miguel Estrada, a fantastically promising a young attorney to become a circuit court judge, might have then become a Supreme Court nominee mm-hmm. in the early uh, part of the, of the Bush administration. They blocked John Bolton from a permanent, he, he was recess appointed, but from getting confirmed as the uh, U.S. appointee uh, nominee to the United Nations, even though he had majority support. They filibustered that because of alleged lack of information that was being provided by the Bush White House. The Democrats have stopped Bork, uh, Tower, Estrada, and Bolton. Who have the Republicans stopped? Republicans have controlled Congress for chunks of those years. They stopped a few judges, I guess, under Clinton. Below they stopped Supreme Harriet Myers. They stopped. Well, actually, they <laughs> had this kind of integrity <laughs> to actually complain about a, a Republican nominee. Absolutely. But, I mean, the, the Republican Party is just, I mean, does not have the stomach that the Democrats do to really stand up, I think, and say, in this case, they have justice on their side. It wouldn't be partisanship. Honestly, this is a guy they knew, a Republican 
Senator at first, if you look back at the comments in December, they were sort of inclined to say, well, yeah, he used to be one of us, maybe we should give him a break. And then the more people looked at the record, and then, of course, for the hearing, people really saw that he was not qualified, he's not the right person to be defense secretary. And even and the Republicans are mostly hanging in there, but even so, they can't hold 41 senators, they won't filibuster, ultimately, uh, and say, I'm sorry, this is just too important to to say, oh, we don't like filibustering cabinet appointees, so I guess we'll just let it go. We had one vote last week where we stopped it, but now it's getting a little awkward, so we'll let it go. I mean, really, the Secretary of Defense is kind of important, and I should think it would be worth filibustering if anything is. It seems to me that the message that Americans could grasp a lot more easily would be, we have to stop this this uh, out-of-the-mainstream candidate to oversee your sons and daughters when they're fighting in the military. That's a fight we can stand on the hill with 41 votes, and people will get it, even if they didn't agree. And, of course, they have the advantage that Chuck Hagel is a horrible nominee. Right. So if they hold out, the fact it's kind of like a Benghazi. We'll keep talking about Benghazi. Now what's happening? The facts are starting to catch up. We now have the email that proves President Obama spoke to nobody the night of Benghazi. Right. It, 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 the outrage that was suggested at the time by some of us bill has now yeah. turned out to be true keep fighting is the is the point when you know you've got a a, a legitimate point to make and they're just going to walk spoke, away i just had coffee with someone who worked on the romney campaign who was on the fringes of some of the decision making about mm-hmm. the benghazi about the september 11th and romney put up that statement and all that and he was uh, it was painful to even remember and he walked <sighs> me through the kind of degree to which Romney sort of went after it, and then they backed off, and they got so intimidated he didn't even mention it in the later, in the right. second debate, I guess it was, or the third debate, I can't remember. I mean, it's really a sad story, and I guess the truth is mostly coming out now. It's too late for the election. It's too late. And it even, you know, is it even affecting, uh, I hope it does affect our judgment, at least, of the people who were involved. And I really do hope President Obama is honestly held accountable for this, at least in the history books, if nowhere else. It's really a a terrible way to conduct a presidency. Well, speaking of history, a lot of Republican history will be discussed at the Oscars, or was discussed in the movies that will be at the Oscars Sunday night, Bill Crystal, I'm not going to ask you for your Oscar picks, but it is an interesting year. You have uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which unwillingly acknowledges that the uh, forms of interrogation that the left claims to hate helped us find Osama bin Laden. And then you have Lincoln, which begrudgingly acknowledges that the Republican Party was founded to end slavery, and it was Democrats who were fighting to keep it. That's a, that may be the only good news for Republicans this week. Right, and I guess we'll see if one of them wins, right? If one of them wins, we should think maybe that's a harbinger of better days mm-hmm. ahead. But What if, did you if, think of Lincoln? Uh, I liked it. There were, if, you, you know, if you went back and read up on some of these things, mm-hmm. there were some inaccuracies, obviously, and, and, uh, but, but one can dwell on that too much. And, but did you yeah, find I, it an entertaining movie? Yes, no, I thought it was a good movie, fantastic acting mm-hmm. performance, obviously, by... Day Lewis and I thought on the whole, I mean, they exaggerated the importance of getting the Thirteenth Amendment through during the lame duck session. I think when you read the history books, it seems like people didn't think at the time it was such a huge deal. Right. It was going to get through anyway a little later, but um, no, I, I thought it was uh, it was a nice tribute to the first Republican president. Uh. And uh, I quote in the editorial for next week's issue, the one that it'll be up on the website at midnight tonight. Uh, actually, Lincoln. Speaking of Lincoln, Lincoln's eulogy of Henry Clay in 1852, which is a really fantastic speech. The more you read Lincoln, the more impressive it is. And if the movie leads people to go back and read uh, Lincoln's speeches, read about what Lincoln did, that's a good thing. You want to be really depressed about the state of democracy? Read Lincoln, and then read Obama, and then you just go, "Oh my lord!" That is true. This is just is sad. True. Anyway, by the way, best movie of the year was Lincoln. wasn't even close. The last 25 minutes should have just been cut off. But um, it's. Um, uh, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, if you haven't seen it. Absolutely great, Bradley Cooper. It starts off as kind of a cr- 
crazy, odd, almost avant-garde film, then suddenly this romantic comedy blossoms from inside. The performance is amazing. It deals with the issue of mental health, mental illness, and what it means to be a person if you can't perceive yourself the way you truly are. And it's entertaining. So great, great film. And I also, forward, almost I look forward to seeing it. I trust your judgment on this. Almost as entertaining. I don't know why, but you sound you sound very credible when you recommend. <laughs> well, this it's movie. either that or Ted. So if you like, <laughs> either the talking teddy bear or that. Thank you, Bill Crystal, for joining us. This is our weekly standard play. Uh, weekly standard playbook. This is our weekly standard podcast. Don't forget to click the box below for a special discount subscription to the weekly standard. I'm your host, Michael Graham.